Where is Jesus when our kids begin to stray? Why doesn't he do something when our kids tell us to stop trying to get them to remember the faith of their youth? As we continue our series on fathers and sons with our study leader, Dave Wurtson, the story of Judah, Jacob's son, back in Genesis, can give us some answers. We do the best we can here at Melodian Bible Church and uh, almost any good Bible teaching church. We try to raise our kids to really know God, right? We want them to come to have a personal relationship with Jesus. A lot of your kids talk to you about what the gospel's about, and they make a profession of faith when they're little. They learn the Iwana verse. They go to Pine Cove. They go to Planet Wisdom, the typical evangelical culture. How many of you want your kids and your grandkids to really love Jesus? We really want that, right? So in high school here at Melodian Bible Church, we're going to really challenge them to own their own faith. You see, when you become a teenager, mom and dad's faith isn't going to carry you through. You've all heard the popular expression, God doesn't have any grandchildren. That means that every single one of our kids has to meet Jesus themselves. How many of you met Jesus? Think about the history of how you met Jesus. What you have to realize is every one of your kids have to meet Jesus, and it will be a different story. The same message of good news, Christ died for our sins, he rose again, you need to trust him to come to live inside of you. That's the basic good news, but your kids will have different stories than you. And part of the role of being a father especially and mom working with dad is to be alert to your kid's story, okay? So during high school, we're going to really challenge your kids to own their own faith. We want them to have the right biblical truth in their head, but we want them to internalize it. We want them to make it their own. We want them to come to Jesus so that they can have their head, their heart, and their will all connected, and they can go out and serve the Lord. Then we send them out, right? They go away to all different places. They get down to A&M. Some of them go to Christian colleges up in Arkansas. Some of them go over to Letourneau. Some of them go to University of Texas down in Austin, all different kinds of places. And you're all thinking of kids that have done that, Okay. Most of our kids do pretty well. I wouldn't say that all of them do, but most of them do pretty well during the college years. They get involved in Cambridge Safe for Christ. They're navigators, and they're really living for the Lord, and they're joining with other believers. In fact, in some ways, that can be one of the most exciting spiritual times in their life. But then they hit their early 20s, and they start going out on their own. They start working a job. And they start meeting some friends at work, and, you know, after work, everyone says, come on, we need to go down to the bar, and that's where we talk about it. So they go down there, and they start really having fun. They start meeting people, have some great times, really interacting with people. They start being able to go on trips, so they go away to places like Cancun. They even take some really fancy business trips up to New York and maybe out to San Francisco, and then they meet somebody. And they meet somebody that's sophisticated, really makes them feel good. If it's a woman, then this person really builds their ego. And and this guy looks good, and he dresses good, and he talks good. That's the most important thing. And he's going to bring real life. And this woman begins to really feel, because she's built to really connect with a guy like that. But this guy doesn't know Jesus. In fact, the guy's very sophisticated, and he starts to communicate. You know, the stuff you learn back there at Midlothian Bible Church, back there in the Bible Belt in Texas, that's so naive. It's so country. It's so childish. So you need to put away those childish things. You know, this Jesus thing doesn't really work in the Intel, Google, and Apple generation. And when you're in love and you really want to connect, 
That's heavy-duty stuff. And it can happen, I told it from the girl's side, you could do the same thing with your guy. The guy falls in love with a girl, and she doesn't really know Jesus, and maybe she's a little bit older than him, and she really just is his perfect dream woman, but she doesn't know Jesus. And she knows philosophy, and she knows travel, she knows business, she knows about money. And we start to live for this world, so our kids wander. Anybody know some stories like that? You think of somebody like that right now? Where is God when our kids start to wander? Where is God when the kids come home at Christmas and they don't want to pray with you? Where is God when you're a grandparent and your adult kids don't want you to share anything with your grandkids about Jesus. I have some friends that grandparents, that their own children won't let grandparents share about Jesus with their kids. Where is Jesus? Where is God as the ultimate father? What in the world is he doing when our kids stray? Some of you are having that big heartache today. If you have younger kids, what we're going to talk about today will help you to start to understand a little bit farther down in the story of parenting kids what it's about, because I want to talk to you about Judah. He was a kidnapper, but he became a deliverer. And he answers the question, where is God when our kids stray? Turn to Genesis chapter 37. This is the beginning of the story of Joseph and Judah. One of the things I'm trying to teach you to do is that you don't just jump around God's word, but that you read consistent stories. This would be one of the places, like for your quiet time, you don't want to jump all over the place. You want to make sure you keep things in context. Well, to keep me things in context, this is the beginning of the Joseph Judah story. It's almost like a little novel. We call it a novella, but this is real life. This is really the history. And actually, this is going to be the story of what generated the Jewish people. It begins in chapter 37 with a story you all know well. It says, now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. These are what Jacob produced. This is what's going to flow from Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, and along with the sons of Bilkah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report about his brothers. Some of you are in blended families, and some of you, you hear us teach about, tell you my story about being married to Mary, and I met her when I was young, and and we haven't gone through all that mix. You say, how in the world can I ever make this? I want to ask you a question. How many of you have ever lived in a family where dad had four wives all at the same time? How many of you are trying to blend 12 sons, okay, and one daughter? One of the things that God's word will do, if you'll really read God's word, it'll really relate. Nobody I've ever talked to is trying to blend a family more than Jacob needed to blend a family. And if you want to know all the hassles you're going to have, like those of you that are trying to build your family now really on Jesus, and you're wrestling with your former partner, and you have trouble with custody and everything, all those battles, you can read about what you're experiencing is, praise God, they're not all in the same house or in the tent community here. Most of you get a little bit of distance. So in some ways, you don't have quite the problem that Jacob did. You also realize that God is at work. This Jacob is going to produce the 12 tribes of Israel. So part of the redemptive story of the Bible is that he works in really messed up situations. 
It doesn't mean that his ideal plan isn't good. It doesn't mean it's not a way that will save you a lot of pain. But one of the great things about God's word is that God is still working in our lives when everything starts to be mixed up. And this is a mixed-up family. And it's one of the reasons why I want you to be sure, and in our church, I want to motivate you to read God's Word. Because if you follow this story, if if Jacob should have known anything, his father Isaac favored who? Jacob's father Isaac favored who? Esau. Okay? So what should have Jacob known? Because Isaac favored Esau... And then Jacob stole, so something that was very prevalent in Jacob's life, if you follow the story, he's a deceiver, right? So you have favoritism and deceiver. As you're reading God's word, you put in your computer or in your notebook, favoritism, deception. And what the Bible will do, and as you're teaching your kids, you need to train them in this. We learned last time we were together about being careful about favoritism. Guess what? Jacob, whose father showed his older brother favoritism, what does Jacob do? It's the same thing. And the consequences are even worse. And this is one of the things you need to learn. As you read these stories, you understand that favoritism, if I'm a dad and I show favoritism, if I'm a mom and I show favoritism, it explodes with anger with my kids. And Judah is the natural leader among the boys. He's the fourth son. You have Reuben, Levi, Simeon, and then Judah. But Judah's the leader of the boys. They're really men now. Judah's about 20 years of age. As we pick up, you remember the familiar story, Joseph, his father shows him favoritism, gives him that beautiful coat. It's like a prince's coat, like Tamar later on in the story of Absalom. She wears, Absalom's sister wears this beautiful garment just like this, okay? In this story, the man is wearing the princely garment, which his dad is declaring everybody. He's going to inherit. He's the ruler. That's what makes Judah so mad. Because Joseph tells those two dreams, and we've often taught you how he's not some snotty-nosed kid that's bragging. In this family, they receive revelation through dreams, and everyone should have listened. When Joseph said, I had a dream, these stalks of grain rose up, and they all bowed down to this central stalk, and the sun, moon, and the 11 stars, they all bowed down, and they showed obeyance to me. They should have listened to those because this is a family where God speaks to them in dreams. Father Abraham received a dream. Father Isaac received a dream. Jacob is the one, the very father, received a dream at Bethel. So these are not like dreams of an adolescent kid that dreams of being a Super Bowl quarterback someday or being a fireman someday. That's not what's going on. This is revelation from God. In fact, God really tells you how this story is going to end up by the dream that he gives Joseph. But Judah's furious over that dream. Because in that dream, what does Judah have to do? Judah has to get down and bow before his brother like that. And man, if he's older than Joseph, he's 20, Joseph is 17. How many of you as older brothers want to bow down to your little brother? Nobody wants to do that. So that's what leads to the story that they see Joseph coming with his beautiful coat. And he finds his brother in Shechem, which is the place where they had a terrible, if you know this story well, that's where they wiped out the Shechemites. It's a very dangerous place. So this story is signaling you this could be danger. And look at the plan that Judah comes up with. This is when Judah's introduced. It says Reuben had an idea, let's just throw him in the pit. But Judah comes up with a far better idea. 
It says that when they saw him in verse 18 of chapter 37, then they saw him from a distance. They plotted against him. They said, come, here comes that dreamer, that master of dreams. Now then let us kill him and throw him into the pit. And we'll say that the wild beasts devoured him. Then let us see what will become of him. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hand and said, no, don't take his life. Reuben said, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that's in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of the hands to restore him to his father. So Reuben, you want to begin the story of Reuben. He's a guy that has good intentions. He should have been the power leader in this family, but he never is. He always blusters forth. And instead of just taking a stand against his brother, he, against his other brother, saying, no, don't do this at all. He says, just throw him into this dry pit that doesn't have any water in it, and he's thinking later on I'm going to come back. So they did this, stripped him of his coat, threw him in the pit. Then they sat down to eat a meal, and as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites, that would be like some guys riding their camels, some Midianites and Ishmaelites are the same. They're traveling merchants throughout the desert, and they're bearing all the stuff of the Holy Land, the bomb and the myrrh and all that kind of thing. Now notice in verse 26, Judas said to the brothers... What profit is it for us to kill our brothers and cover up his blood? So Judah is going to do what? He's going to make a buck on his brother. How many think that's a good guy or a bad guy? Okay, this is really, really bad. What would you think if you had one of your sons that says, I'm going to sell my little brother and make some money on him, 20 shekels of silver. That's a lot of money. Good idea? Okay, so what's Judah living for right now? One of the things you want to be working out with your own kids, and we need to be working about our kids, what are they living for? Judah right now lives for money. He's angry. He's jealous against Joseph. Now he's got the perfect opportunity. But I want you to see the brothers follow Judah's lead because he's the natural leader. So watch in your family who the natural leader of your family. The natural leader of your family will determine in some ways more than you do as a parent where everybody else ends up. So watch for that. Like in our family, for example, our natural leader was the oldest son, Jonathan, which is pretty normal. He went to University of Texas. Where did all the rest of our kids go? See, he was intellectual, so what did all the rest of our kids get interested in? So as a parent and as a grandparent, you want to be alert for those things. These stories are teaching you wisdom if you live in it. And Judah, though he's the fourth son, you say, Dave, how do you know he's the natural leader? Because when Reuben spoke... What did they do? They kind of followed what he was said, but when Judah speaks, they act. They move. And that's who your leader is. That's what leadership is. Leadership isn't just being able to say the right thing. Leadership is when a leader says, hey, let's do this. People say, yeah, let's go and do it. And in this case, Judah's leading really, really bad. So they throw their brother in the pit. They strip him of his garment. Then Judah hauls him out and sells him to the Ishmaelites. And Judah has his younger brother down in Egypt. That's where chapter 37 is. What's going to happen now? So we're introduced to Judah. He's a kidnapper. Now, how many of you have kids that are straying that are kidnappers? They sold their brother into slavery. Some of you can have kids that are in prison for things like that, but probably hardly any of us have someone that's this bad. This is really, really bad. Well, it gets worse. Look at chapter 38. Now, it came about that at that time that Judah departed from his brothers, and he visited a certain Adullam, whose name was Hira, 
Judas saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua, and he took her and went into her. So she conceived and bore a son, and he named him Ur. Then she conceived again and named him Onan. She bore still another son and named him Shelah. It was that conceived that she bore him. What's happening here? When your kids start to wander away, they leave their family. Judah leaves his brothers. When there's all this anger, when there's all this favoritism, when you kidnap your brother and sell him for 20 pieces of silver, tremendous fracturing takes place in your family. And what all you need to open yourself up to, these stories will teach you in your family, if your kids aren't living for the Lord Jesus, and in my family, if they're not living for the Lord Jesus, and there's tremendous anger and jealousy that really dark things happen, And these stories are opening you up to that. As dads and grandfathers, you need to, especially as the designated leaders in your family, you need to open yourself up to this. And what happens is that your nice, worshiping, godly kids, supposedly, are really acting on the seat of the serpent. This is the seat of the serpent side. Kidnapping, living for money, that's on the seat of the serpent. When your kids are living for the serpent, then the next thing is they... Spend some time in Canaanite territory. Now, the Lord brought the children of Israel to the land of Canaan, and he's going to give them the land. And later on in the story, later on in the story, Joshua is going to attack the Canaanite. What's Judah doing with Canaanites now? Tell me. He's hanging out with them, right? Okay. So who do you marry? You marry who you hang out with. What Judah does at this time, he leaves his family. So some of your kids are going to leave the fellowship of believers. Some of your kids are going to tell you, we don't want anything to do with those Jesus things. We think it's a bunch of bunk. In essence, what Judah is saying is, I don't believe in the promise anymore. God told us that we needed to be the one that would bring the great serpent slayer into the world. We were the ones that needed to worship the great I am. He's saying, forget all of that. He goes down into Canaanite territory. He hangs out with Canaanites. And the text is very, very quick and right to the point. This guy lives for sex. In Hebrew, like when I tell you the story of Isaac meeting Rebekah, and there's a servant that goes, it's a long story. When you have the story of Ruth, Boaz has a beautiful woman at his feet. She's safe. And in the Hebrew text, they'll draw out the story and talk to you about relationships and talk to you about covenant faithfulness. In this story, Judah sees a Canaanite. He wants to go into her. He goes into her, and wham, 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 she produces three kids, okay? Some of you are going to have that happen. This is included in God's Word. And and I was raised in the idea that we raise our kids in Sunday school— If we teach them all the verses, if they go to all the camps, then everything will be fine. But the truth in there is I look back at all my friends, there's been stories like this. Their kids married unbelievers. Some of your kids are married unbelievers. Sitting right here this morning, some of your kids aren't married to someone that really loves Jesus. And their heart is in another planet. And one thing you need to do, you need to really face that. You need to not pretend this text has opened you up and then what's going to happen? When you're not living for God and you marry unbelieving people, you know what you produce? Wicked kids. That means kids that bring pain. In fact, Judah's first son was so bad, the Lord just killed him. 
So one of the things I want you to realize, your kids will tell you, well, I don't believe in all this God stuff. I don't believe in all this Jesus stuff. Well, I have parents that tell me these horrendous stories of all these terrible things that happened to their kids. In fact, our whole culture is like this. Terrible violence has taken place. Terrible sexual diseases, all kinds of stuff. But our idea is God isn't anywhere. Well, the truth of the Bible does tell you, if you do really wicked things, God is a judge. And you're really hurting people. Sometimes he's had it. He's very long-suffering. But one of the things as a parent and as a grandpa, you need to understand, he wipes her out. Onan, you see, in their culture, the next son was supposed to go into his brother's widow and he was to have intercourse with her. And then he was to raise up a seed, the baby that would be born into the womb of his older brother's widow would now have a child and that line would continue. And the importance of that line continuing was really important because they really understood that sexuality has to do with producing a line. It's not just having fun and having good intimacy. It's about what you produce in your family. Well, Onan goes into Tamar and he won't let her conceive. You can read what the text says. And it shows us God isn't really uptight about that. The problem is Onan's willing to have a lot of fun with Tamar, but he won't raise up a child with Tamar. And that's because you're in unbelieving territory. Unbelieving guys don't want to have kids when they're living for materialism. Now, not all unbelievers will be like that, but the story is telling the truth. Onan doesn't want to raise up a seed for his brother because he's selfish. So the Lord cuts him down dead. Judah's got one son left, Sheila. He said, man, I'm not going to let Sheila near that black widow. Now, it's Tamar the problem, and that's the twist in the story. This is a great story because there's this great twist that the story is that Tamar is the Canaanite, but she's the one that really cares about raising up a seed for her husband Ur that was Judah's son. So she comes up with an unbelievable plan. She takes off her widow garment after Judah's wife dies, and she realized that Judah is going, and he's going to have a big celebratory time with his unbelieving Canaanite friend, and he goes to this sheep shearing, and Tamar puts on the dress of a prostitute, which every culture has that. And in their culture, it's a lot like Jacob was deceived by Leah, And that was a legitimate wife, but she was in a veil. In the ancient world, you would have veils that would signal this is a prostitute. In fact, the really special ones wore a special veil, and they were cultic prostitutes that were a higher class. The text starts out saying that Judah thinks that Tamar is just a regular prostitute, and the text very quickly, and you need to teach your boys that this is the way that life works out on the street, that there are women that will negotiate and men that will negotiate. You're just going to have sex for just physical pleasure. Judah is grieving. He wants to get over his grief. It's the way human nature is. You're all vulnerable. You lose a mate. You're hurt, and you're going depressed, and you end up connecting sexually with someone that you shouldn't because you're going to heal your downness. These stories are warning you against doing that, and we need to raise our kids knowing these stories. Well, the woman negotiates. says, okay, what are you going to give me? He says, I'll give you a goat. And she looks around. There's no goat. Now, in this family, they have trouble with goats. 
Remember Jacob killed two goats and his mom did and made the skins? Joseph's coat of many colors was dipped in the blood of a goat. Now, and this is what we need to teach your kids. God has a way of maneuvering life that what comes around comes around. And Tamar says, Judah doesn't know it's Tamar. He just thinks it's a prostitute. A goat is the going price. He says, I'll tell you what. Tamar says, you give me the equivalent of your driver's license and a credit card. Because that's what the signet ring was like your credit card. That you could roll on a piece of clay and that would be the seal. And your staff had an identifying symbol on the top of the staff that would be like your driver's license. So what this woman, Tamar, that Judah thinks is a prostitute, Tamar says, I want your credit card and I want your driver's license. He says, okay. So he gives her his staff and he gives her his signet ring. It says he went into her, she conceived, she becomes pregnant. And then three months later, they find out that Tamar is pregnant. Now watch this. Judah gets really, really mad. She's played the whore. And we're going to kill her. So the punishment in those days, they would bring a woman out according to Levitical law later on. If a woman was caught like that, they would stone her and then they would burn her. And that's what's going to happen to Tamar. So they're getting everything ready. Judah, Tamar is still underneath his authority, not using it wisely. And they're getting ready to execute Tamar. And she says to Judah, Judah, the man who did this, has these two things. And she took out the signet ring and she took out the staff. And you talk about getting caught with your pants down. And then Judas says a very, very important thing. He says right here, it says in verse 26, Judah recognized them. He recognized his staff. This is in chapter 38, verse 26. And he said, she is more righteous than I am. She is more righteous than I am. And it says, inasmuch as I did not give her to my son Sheila, and he did not have relations with her again. And then it goes on and talks about the birth of her twin boys, Perez and Zira. Zira's going to come out first, so they put a red thread around his finger. And Perez grabs a hold of him, kind of like the Jacob Esau struggle. And this time, Perez broke forth first. And so these twin boys were born, and Perez means to break forth. And then you close this story, okay? What I want you to learn from this, this is incredibly, incredibly powerful. What you want to look for your kids, when they're wandering, I want you to understand something. When your kids are wandering, you must not think that they'll tell you the truth. You must not think that they won't do wicked things. And I want to especially appeal to you ladies. Your wicked sons know how to con you like crazy you'll actually be aiding them in hurting people. And these stories are meant to teach you, don't do that. God the Father is the prodigal son's father. He doesn't go after his son. He doesn't give him more money. He doesn't join with him celebrating in a foreign country. He doesn't decide, well, none of this is really, really true. You guys have really got to understand, and I need to understand, when our kids are living on the seat of the serpent, when they're jealous, when they deceive, 
when they'll sell their brother for slavery, they will sleep with prostitutes. This is a really bad thing. I'm not going to give you any backward somersault. You say, why not? Because God uses the word whore in the Bible. And your little bitty kids, you can easily explain to them in a good way. You can tell them about the badness in a good way, but I got news for you. I was raised in churches that taught me the Bible. I heard all the stories. They don't put all those things together. But you don't want them to be 10 years old. Your 10-year-old kids, your little 10-year-old boys know a lot more about sexuality than you'd ever dreamed. And they need to be raised knowing that the Bible tells about prostitutes. And it says this isn't a good thing, but they need to know something else. This story is right on the edge. Because Tamar really wasn't a prostitute. And those of you that are so legal and so much into standards, you don't get the bend there is in life. And you judge, you're like Judah in this story. You get really, really mad, and you condemn the person that's really innocent because you're covering up your own guilt. We need to be really careful not to do that. This story is a powerful penetration in our heart. Judah acts self-righteously as if he obeys all the rules, but he's the one that went into a prostitute. But what he didn't know is she really wasn't a prostitute. It was really a woman doing the godly thing in the Old Testament. She cared about the seed. And when the truth came out, this is the first sign that Judah broke. Judah broke, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And that's the way it's going to be with your kids. You say, Dave, how do I know when they're starting to turn? You know when someone's starting to turn and starting to move towards coming back home? When they finally make a right judgment. When they finally admit, when Judah is caught with his pants down, he just says, Tamar was right. Much more right than me. And he doesn't have any more sexual relationship with her, but he does provide for her, and she produces Paris. Now, if you think that isn't important about grace, the amazing thing today is when you read the book of Ruth, that's about another Moabite girl, not a, not a girl from Canaan, but a Moabite girl, should have never been in the promised line. When you read the genealogy end of the book of Ruth, guess what it goes back to? You say, Dave, why in the world this morning did you begin telling the story of Judah and tell us this terrible story about him sleeping with a prostitute? Because when the Old Testament's carrying the story back to Genesis, forward to King David at the end of the book of Ruth, the inspired writer reaches back and he tells you about Judah and Tamar giving birth to Perez. Because Perez is the one that leads to King David. And King David is the one that leads to Jesus. And that's the story of redemption. And what the Lord wants us to do as grandfathers and fathers is he wants us to understand that when our kids are wandering, when vengeance and anger and deception that causes families to blow apart, When our kids are married to unbelievers and they produce kids that are unbelieving, it doesn't mean that the heavenly daddy isn't still writing his story. Some of you have been taught from the time you were little bitty kids 
the incredible story of how God was with Joseph in Egypt. And you've all learned about how God took him from the pit to the throne, but you need to understand, you know why that God sent Joseph to Egypt? The reason God sent Joseph to Egypt was to save Judah so that Judah wouldn't die. Because Judah was the one that was going to produce a son named Perez. And Perez couldn't die because that's the line of the Messiah. And Judah was so angry with God, just like a lot of your kids, because they think God's really doing bad things to them. And Judah was so mad at God because he said in a dream that Judah would have to get down and bow down before him. Next week, we're going to go on with that story and discover how what Judah feared the most was to save his life. And one of the things we want to pray for today as we're working with our kids is when Satan starts to work on our kids, they start doubting God's goodness in their life. They start pulling away. They start living for themselves. This story exposes very honestly the terrible things that they can get involved in. But it also gives me great confidence as I work with people, as I work with you, as I work with others, as I work with my own kids. It really helps me to realize that when our kids are straying, there can become a moment of truth when they start to turn and come back home.